Revelation chapter 22. Yes, the last chapter of the Bible. I've never preached on this chapter. I'm going to preach on it today. As we close down a series called Maranatha, this is the last message in this series. Take out your notes. It looks like this. Started this message series when our trip to Israel got canceled because war broke out. And so the title of the message is kind of in line with all that, How to Be Happy When Hell Breaks Loose. Yeah, all right. That's, that's some kind of title right there. And you will notice on your notes that the, the book Revelation has no chapter number. You see that? Anybody see that? This, that, that means I am going to do something I've never done before. I am going to preach to you in one sermon the whole book of Revelation. All 22 chapters. That's the good news. The bad news is it's going to take me 36 hours to do it. So cancel your plans. <laughs> no, we're going to do it. Over a 10,000 foot view of this wonderful book. Stand with me at all locations, if you will. Here's the passage that we're going to read from verse 16 right through the end of the book. And when I saw this this week, this passage, uh, I was gripped. I was gripped with the reality that this is God talking to his people, last words that he wants to write down for all of church history. Here they are. Verse 16, I, Jesus, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. And then look at this verse. This is the one that grabbed me this week. The spirit and the bride say what? Come, come. yes. And, then, and let the one who hears say come. come. And let the one who is thirsty, what? Come. come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. And if you have a a New King James Version Bible, Verse 20 says this, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Even so. In other words, I've read the book. There's some darkness ahead. We got to go through it. When Jesus comes, it's going to get worse. But even so, even so, Lord, come. We're ready to have you return to this earth. And everybody said, Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit will lead my words. Set a guard over my mouth. Help me to speak. Help me to teach. Help me to lead your people to you. And may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Open our ears. Soften our hearts. Renew our minds. And help us to see Jesus. Him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat in the Lord's house in the presence of each other. The Bible ends with an invitation. The Bible ends with the spirit of the bride saying, come. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, it could be your first week at Waters Church, it could be your thousandth week, God wants you to hear him say, come, be a part of this. I want you to be in my family. At the same time that God says, come, we say, come, Lord Jesus. So invitations all around at the end of the book. 
Jesus inviting you. We're inviting Jesus. And both Jesus and the Holy Spirit saying to the world, come. There's a door open through the blood of Jesus. The veil is torn. The way has been made. Good people can come. Bad people can come. Republicans can come. Democrats can come. Anybody can come. Drug dealers can come. Murderers can come. Addicts can come. It doesn't matter where you come from. You can come through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you want to come because if you haven't read the book of Revelation, it's going to get bad. It's going to get dark. Anybody have this feeling over their head? Everybody have this looming sense? Something is about to happen. Said that to the church last night. They were all like, mmm. And Saturday night tends to be a quiet church. And even they were like, mmm. I have a sense of, there's this looming in my heart. Anybody bear witness to that? So, something's going on. Something's going on. And the, and the reason is, it's not a sense. It's not an intuition. It's not a gut feeling. What you're experiencing is an orthodox, 2,000-year-old biblical Christian doctrine. Something big is going to happen. A lot of people don't want to read Revelation because it's dark. And uh, I want to let you know that you should have no fear and no intrepidation about reading this wonderful book. This is a book that is here to help you, bless you, and empower you to be ready when Jesus comes. Revelation chapter 22, there's the, there, there it is. Amen, come Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. But, but this is why we're doing the whole book today. The bookends of the book are a beatitude. Now what is a beatitude? A beatitude is a, a pronouncement of blessing on anyone who does what is said in the beatitude. So Jesus unpacks nine beatitudes in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, right? And you can go on. Those are beatitudes. And the word blessed means makaria, is makarios in Greek. It means happy, fortunate. If you do these things, you are happy. You are fortunate. And Revelation has a front end and a back end beatitude. The front end of beatitude is Revelation 1 verse 3. Blessed. Somebody say blessed. Makarios, happy, fortunate. That's what that means. Fortunate is the one who reads aloud the words of, the prophe of this prophecy. So I've got an extra blessing because I get to read this out aloud to you. That's my blessing. But notice, I'm not, I'm not leaving anybody out because it says this, and blessed, this is, this is for you, are those who hear, and then blessed are those who keep what is written in this book for the time is near. The book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible, 66 books, the only book of 66 that says if you do it, if you read it, if you keep it, you're blessed. That's big. But it doesn't just begin like that. It ends like that. The last chapter, Revelation 22, verse 7 says, and behold, I'm coming soon. Again, Makarios, fortunate, blessed, is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So Revelation is bookended with blessing. So we're gonna do the whole book Three quick facts so that I can teach you how to read this book. Three quick facts. I want you to write these down. Number one, uh, a revelation is apocalypse. The word in Greek is apocalypsis. It's an apocalypse. When people say, oh, the apocalypse, they're talking about <laughs> revelation. The coming of Jesus, the end of the world according to the Bible. Now the word apocalypse means unveiling. It is an un unveiling of, of what Jesus is going to do as his return begins as he comes back. 
And the word apocalypse is referring also to ancient literature that was very familiar to first century Jews. In fact, there is some Old Testament passages that are apocalyptic in nature. You understand that the Bible is made up of many types of literature. There's historical narrative, there's poetry, there's wisdom literature, there's laws, there's covenants, there's old, old ancient covenantal you know, formula, formulas in the text. You can't read the Bible like it's just one big long story. There's multiple kinds of genres. Well, there's a particular genre, very interesting kind of genre. It is what Revelation is. It is also what the last half of Daniel is. Um, many parts of Ezekiel are. Uh, some parts of Ezra are apocalyptic. And what that means is that the scripture will use symbols, signs, and listen, numbers and names and time frames to teach you about something that is secret. It, this is really cool about Revelations. It's God's way of giving his people a message that only his people will understand. And you can't read the book of Revelation. And this is so important. I hope you hear this. End times buffs. You, I know who you are. You're in our church. And you love the end times. You've got a chart in your bedroom that has the millennium and the plagues. And you got, you know, all these dates and all these pins. And you're, you, you know, you've got a picture of Obama up there. And you've got, you know, Biden, Trump is somewhere. Everybody, you know everybody who's everywhere. And you are expecting Jesus at any moment. But you probably have a date in your mind as to when he's coming in. And you need help. Okay, I'm just telling you. I'm here to help you. Because, because you can't read, you can't read the Bible. You can't read the book of Revelation without knowing the rest of the Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture. And so, so this is very important. So this is what the scripture says about Revelation. The first verse, it says the revelation of what? Of Jesus Christ. Notice, it's not the revelations. It's one revelation about one person. And that person is not the Antichrist. Okay, this is not your secret decoder ring to discover. Okay, if, if the next president is the Antichrist or if, you know, the head of the UN is the Antichrist or whatever. This is about Jesus and it's, a, and it's for his servants. He wants to show his servants what will soon take place. Fact number two, revelation is about what always happens. Write that down. What always happens. Again, revelation buffs, end times buffs. This book is not just about, I know you want to say it, but it's not true. This book is not just about the last seven years of human history. There are four interpretive ways to read this book. And if you go to my channel, on YouTube, youtube.com slash Tim Live. I have done this series, 22-part series, through the book of Revelation, verse by verse, interpreting the book through those four different views. The preterist view, which means AD 40 to AD 70. The historist view, which means AD 0 to right now. The futurist view, which means the last seven years of world history. And the idealist view, which means it is just about a spiritual uh, ideas that we must inhabit as we wait for Jesus' return. Those four views. But, but here's what I want you to understand about Revelation. The book itself tells us, the book itself tells us that it's not about the future only. And it's not about the present only. It's about the past, the present, and the future. Look at this verse, Revelation 1.19. It says, write therefore the things that you, what? have seen, that is the past. And then he says, I want you also to write the things that are, that is the present, and the things that are to take place after this. So past, 
present, future. When you study the book of Revelation, you have to understand that God is teaching you not just about what's going to happen, but what always happens. As the whole Bible tells us, the Bible is not a book about what happened in the past. The Bible is a book about what's happening right now. We are in a spiritual battle. The reason why we can't control our physical reality is because the physical reality is the fruit of the spiritual reality and there is a war in the unseen realms against principalities and mighty forces of wickedness and they're coming against you and they're coming against nations and we need to take up arms in the Holy Spirit. You can't fight a spiritual battle with physical weapons. So, so this is what the revelation is it's about, past, present, future, and what always happens, and what always happens, are you ready for it? There's a war that's always going on until Jesus shows up, and the Bible says in Thessalonians, you know what, he's not even gonna have to pick up a, he's not even gonna have to pick up an AR-15. For all my South Carolina friends, amen, travelers. He's not even gonna have to pick up a rifle for all of my, you know, northern New England friends, okay. He's just gonna, the Bible says he's just gonna defeat Satan with the breath of his mouth. I love it, I love it. Jesus is gonna show up on a white horse and he's gonna come out to the battlefield and he's gonna go, done, Armageddon over. Let's get this party started. I mean, that's gonna be it. That's it. I mean, it really is so cool. So anyway, number three fact. Revelation helps me understand the present in light of the future. And we need this now more than ever because we are too tied, too strangled by our present. Some of you gotta listen to me. You're, you're, you're tied up in knots about what's going on, what's not working, where you are. This is where anxiety comes from. The, some of you are tied up by the past. That's where depression comes from. You gotta live with the future in mind. You gotta live with the future in mind. A woman gets engaged, she's thinking about the future, thinking about the future, thinking about the future, thinking about the future. She's looking forward, not to what she was, not to who she is. She's making preparation. Well, the Bible says we are the bride of Christ. We're getting married, we're heading to a wedding, we're heading to a feast. Live with that in mind so that you can go through what you're going through right now. Too many people are tied, strangled, hold. This, this phone keeps us moment by moment attached to the moment that we are living in. We need to put it down and pick up God's best-selling work and read the last chapter. Good things are on the way. When you're in, when you're in college, you, you, you gotta remember you're gonna walk that, you know, you're gonna walk that, that, that stage and they're gonna hand you that useless diploma that now you have to re spend the rest of your time playing off. You know what I'm talking about? I know right now it's tough. You're taking, you know, courses and you're writing papers and you're trying to figure out what gender you are and it's very difficult to do all that kind of stuff, but you gotta keep the end in mind. And, and some, some people gotta really think about this. The end is not when you graduate college or high school or, or marriage or when you have have children or when you retire. No, 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 no. The end is when Jesus returns and a new heaven and a new earth show up. If you live with the end in mind, you'll get through whatever the devil has in mind now. So those are the three quick facts. That's how you're supposed to read this book and it helps you and there's a blessing to be had. So let's go through the whole book in the next uh, 25 minutes <laughs> or longer. Number one, Three truths to be happy about when hell breaks loose. Jesus wants to have a word with his church. Jesus wants to speak to you. That's the first thing that Revelation tells us. 
when I started a revelation study way back in, believe it or not, way back in 2005 in this church when we used to have Wednesday night Bible study, I remember we had a whole bunch of people show up, like record crowd for Wednesday night Bible study. But then the first four weeks were the letters to the churches. And so everybody was like, eh, this is boring. I just wanted to find out who the Antichrist was. So they didn't come back. But, but this is how Revelation opens because uh, before we talk about how it's going to end, we need to talk about how you're doing. Jesus wants you prepped for the apocalypse. And so he doesn't open up with, bam, lightning, cosmos, fallen, sun, darken. No, 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 no. It opens up with, send seven letters to seven churches. And every time the letter opens, it says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, Pergamum, Sardis, Thyatira, these seven churches, to the angel of the church of whatever, Right. Now the word angel, angelos in the Greek, it could mean angel, it can also mean messenger. Many times in the Bible that word is translated messenger. So many people think, and I like to think of this, that there is potentially an angel over every church. I like to think that's true. I like to think that there is an angel of the church of Waters Church. Amen? Some interpretations say that the angel refers to the pastor because he is the messenger of God to the church. Which means that you should learn to treat your pastor. I won't go there. I'll just let your mind just simmer. Just simmer in that cauldron for a little while, okay? But seven churches get seven different letters. And every church is different. How many know every church is different? Water Church is not the only game in town. I, 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 I love our church. Of course, I'm here. But I, we're not the only church. And, and, and so God has a heart. And this is what somebody told me a long time ago when I was getting this church going. And I, I remember it, it just struck with me. Um, the guy was on stage and he said, look, Jesus loves many different kinds of churches. You're not the only one. I like that. So many denominationalisms in the church. You know what I'm saying? The, the denomination wars. When, when Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one. But every church is different and every church has failures. Every church needs correction. Let me go through the list of the churches and if you want to skim through with me in Revelation 2 and 3, you can, but the church in Ephesus was doing great works, but they lost their love for the Lord. Sometimes we can be there, amen? So busy uh, in the work of the Lord, we forget the Lord of the work. Then the church in Smyrna was persecuted and they, they needed to endure. Sometimes we're going to be hated on. And the message is endure. And then the th church in Pergamum, they were uh, backsliding and, and, Paul, and um, John writes, or Jesus writes to them and says, I know where you dwell. Here's what he says. You dwell where Satan has his throne. You understand that Satan is not omnipresent. He, can, he's, he emphasizes certain areas of the world. Maybe right now he's in Jerusalem, you know, with everything that's going on. But I think that a lot of times he comes back to Washington, D.C. And I, I, I've said that funny to be joking, but I don't think that's a joke. I really do think, like, he's got a condo somewhere on, you know, Pennsylvania Avenue, and he's there, you know, you know, Al Pacino look, you know, he's walking through. Anybody remember that movie? And he's, you know, he's making deals with congressmen and senators all the time. Because if he can get this nation, he can ruin all the other nations. 
but yet there is a church in Washington, D.C., you see. We don't hate the cities because our brothers and sisters are in the cities. So then the church in Thyatira was corrupted by a woman named Jezebel. Jesus calls her Jezebel. That probably wasn't her name, but he calls her Jezebel because he's referencing the Old Testament. By the way, 407 verses in the book of Revelation. 407 verses in the book of Revelation. And this is why you can't read it in isolation. 278 of the 407 verses are direct or indirect verses, references to the Old Testament. It's not about what will happen. It's about what always happens. And then to the church in Sardis, they were, he says, you have the reputation of being alive, but I know you're dead. You, you look like you love me. You look like a great church, but inwardly, you're not even connected to me. And then the church in Philadelphia, faithful, small, but tired, weary. They had been struggling and trial was coming on the world, tribulation. And Jesus says, because I know you've held on through all this hardship, I'm gonna spare you. I'm gonna hold that back from you because it's been too hard on you for too long. And then famously, the last church in the list, Laodicea, the what church? The lukewarm church. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. And by the way, to that church, the famous passage, we misquote this all the time, where Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and, not, and pastors and leaders, and maybe even me by accident in the past, have said, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart, and he wants to get it. That's not what the verse is talking about. The verse is saying that Laodicea had grown so complacent and so prideful and so arrogant that there was no more room for Jesus, and he was on the outside of the church wanting to get back into the church. Let us not be that kind of church. Let us keep the door wide open. Jesus, come in, have your way at Waters Church. So all seven churches get two phrases from Jesus. I've put Revelation 2-7 in your notes. Let's put it on the screen. It says this. He says to all seven churches, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he also says to all the seven churches, to the one who conquers, he introduces this idea of conquer, nikeo in Greek, which we get Nike from. It means victory. He says, I want you to win. Jesus wants to talk to you so that you will win. But winning is not what you think. Winning is not getting you know, millions of dollars in the bank and having a wonderful home and a wonderful family. I mean, those are great blessings, but that's not winning. Winning is standing for Jesus in such a way that nothing the devil throws at you can tear you down. That's what Jesus wants for you. And that's why he wants to talk to you. And so I want you to write this down because all seven churches, different places that they're in, and Jesus brings a corrective to five of the seven churches, comfort to two of the seven churches. But here's what I want you to write down. No matter where I am in my spiritual life, Jesus wants to talk. Because some of you are like, I know, I'm lukewarm, I'm, lu I'm useless, I know, he's going to spit me out of my mouth. No, he wants to talk. Don't you understand, in that same church, to that same church, he says, those whom I love, I rebuke. Some of you got to get a, a theological room opened up in your brain today. Because you're not familiar with loving rebuke. You think that only encouragement is love. Only words of support are love. Only words of, you know, you can do it. You're a champion. You're wonderful. Nobody like you. You think that's only the times when Jesus loves you. No, no, no. Sometimes, sometimes Jesus loves you by saying, what's wrong with you? 
You know what I'm saying? Anybody have an old Italian mom? You know, pinch the cheeks and smack you. My parents used to spank me. I was raised old school, baby. That's, that's how you got under control as a child. Good old, fat, sometimes if I was really naughty, bare bottom spanking. My parents would be arrested today. But it straightened me out, got me right, put me on the right path. Thank God for the love of a spanking parent. I, I, I always have to qualify this with the saying, of course, that parents can go too far, and I'm not condoning that. But Jesus never goes too far. He will correct you. He will, he will confront you. He will rebuke you because he loves you. Some of you are dead. You think you're alive, but you're dead. Some of you are sliding into sexual morality. God wants to pull you back. He's talking to you to pull you back onto the right. You know, in GPS, when you have your GPS, you go the wrong way. What does the GPS do? Reroutes. It doesn't give up on you. And I'm very thankful for that because I have no sense of direction. My GPS would be like, I cannot stand you anymore. I am out of here. You never listen. No, the GPS just reroutes. That's what Jesus does with you. He reroutes. Okay, you've gone off this road now, rerouting. And some of you, you're like somewhere in the woods. You're worried about some guy coming out with a machete at any moment. Yeah, you should be worried. You've gone off the path. Get back on. Write this down. If I can hear, there's still hope. Some of you are like, I, I should even be at church today. I, I, it's totally, I feel guilt. I feel shame. I feel, no, no, no. What you feel is conviction. Conviction is not a curse, it's a blessing. Conviction is God's provision for your direction. Somebody should tweet that out. I did yesterday. You can retweet it for me. Conviction is God's provision for your direction. He wants you on the right path, on the right road. It doesn't give up on you. So this is the first part of Revelation that Jesus is like, look, church, it's gonna get really bad. It's gonna be like it has been in the past. It's gonna be like it is now. But ad infinitum, like it's gonna get really bad. And all that you've seen throughout the course of human history with wars and plagues and pestilence and judgments and serious diseases and suffering, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. So if you wanna make it through, you better listen to your shepherd who's here to correct you and reroute you and get your feet on solid ground. Point number two. Jesus wants his church to see the world for what it really is. This is so important. When you read the book of Revelation, it is begging the church, don't be seduced by your generation. I know they can dress up a certain way and, and present certain things. And some of you people, you've got marketing degrees. You know what I'm talking about. You know how to convince people that they need things that they don't really need. That's the world's system. We're going to get to that in just a moment, but let me back up and talk to you about how Jesus unpacks this for his church in um, some subpoints here under number two. The first thing Revelation is going to tell, you, tell us is this world is under judgment. Letter A. This world is, present tense, friend, under judgment. You say, I thought that judgment's coming later. It is on a whole nother level. But listen to me. 
The world is under judgment now. Now. And the world has been under judgment since Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Judgment came. And it came in Noah's day. And it came in Lot's day. And, and, and it came in, in Isaiah's day. This is nothing new. And, and so you have to understand something about the world. It could put all the lights and glitter on the most beautiful person and sing the most wonderful songs and entertain you and, and floor you and overwhelm you and, and, and tickle all your sensitivities in all the right places, but don't fall for it. The devil is not ugly. You know that, right? You gotta understand that the Bible says the devil can disguise himself as an angel of light. He's beautiful. Ezekiel describes him. He's clothed with the jewels of all the glorious jewels of this creation. There was no one else like him. He was, he was pinnacle of God's creation. And so the music of our age and the allure and the attractiveness of our age, don't you understand that it's just an illusion? It ends in death. And it ends in judgment. And one of the things that people fail to understand is judgment is not future, judgment is present. What does Romans chapter one say? That, that they decided not to worship God and they decided to worship created things as God. What does God do? He hands them over to what they want. Sometimes, this is gonna sting. Sometimes God's, God's judgment is he just gives you exactly what you want. And he lets you feel the pain that that brings. You chase adultery. You're not, you're not just chasing pain. You're chasing hell. You're chasing pornography. You're chasing hell. You're chasing money and greed and fortune, you're not chasing the good life, you're chasing hell. This is what Revelation is begging us to see. Revelation 3.10, he says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the world. This is Revelation 3, we haven't even started the Revelation, we haven't even started the plagues yet. He's already talking about judgment. Jesus said, when he went to the cross in John 12.31, he said, now, somebody say now. He says, now is the judgment of this world. What do you see on the streets of America's cities right now? Tent cities, homeless encampments. It's growing. What do you see with our open borders and who knows what kind of drugs are coming into our country? Uh, left, right, and center right now. What do you see in our university system when, when you have confused professors confusing the kids and tearing them away from their parents? What do you see? You don't see just society. You see the judgment of God. And God is saying, come out of them. You are my people. You are not sons and daughters of this generation. You are sons and daughters of the Almighty Father in heaven. Come away. This is why 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, he says, 
the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not from the Father. It's from the world. And then this verse, and the world is what? It's passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Come on out of this generation. Young people, don't let what's cool in your age be your regret in the age to come. Don't fall for the looks and the attraction. This is what the devil's been doing for thousands of years, you understand? He's very good at it. He's had a lot of practice. And he allures you and tries to swallow you. But judgment is coming. I've been to Pompeii. Pompeii is just south of Naples, Italy. It sits in the shadow of Mount Vesuvius, a volcanic mountain. I was on vacation with my wife and, and we got to Naples, Italy and she wanted to go to the Alafaya coast and I ruined her day by going on an archeological trip through Pompeii. <laughs> I said, honey, I'm sorry, but this is for the Bible. This is for my work. I gotta do some work. I'd always wanted to go there and the archeological ruins of that city. You understand that Pompeii was the sun, summertime resort for Roman elite in the first century. Judgment always comes. Here's how that works. In AD 33, Jesus Christ was put on a cross, handed over to the Romans by the Jewish leaders. 40 years later, the Roman Emperor Titus marches into the city, besieges it, destroys it, rapes, destroys. What Hamas just did to Israel, they did to Jerusalem. AD 33, a complete wipeout, a complete destruction of the city. Here's what it was. God was judging the city that he sent his son to. And they crucified him. And then, this is the most amazing thing. Are you ready? That happens in AD 70. Nine years to the day that Titus entered Jerusalem and destroyed it, Mount Vesuvius erupted. It erupted and wiped out the city of Pompeii instantly. And the Roman elites who destroyed the city of Jerusalem were judged for their mistreatment of God's people in that city. Judgment ping-pongs from nation to nation and people to people as God keeps showing us the error of our ways. And it, ironically, in Pompeii, it happened in August during a festival for Caesar Augustus, whom the Roman elites had just decided was God. And God had the last word. Revelation is not about what happens Next, it's about what always happens. Don't be a Lord. This world is under judgment. Let it be. This world is a devouring beast. <laughs> this is not happy speech, but it's true. This world will chew you up and swallow you if you let it. This is why your wage against sin, your war against sin has got to be taken seriously. It is a, it is a war for your soul. And so there's three images here that I got to unpack. First, a ruling dragon. Write it down. First symbol. And again, apocalyptic imagery. Symbols, numbers, names. All mean something different than what you think. A ruling dragon. Revelation 12, 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a red, great red dragon with seven heads, ten horns. Seven means completion. Horns means he's going to rule. And he has seven diadems. That means he had crowns on the seven heads. So he has complete Listen, complete rule of this earth. 
And it says his tail swept a third of the stars out of heaven. This is hearkening back to when uh, Lucifer rebelled against God in heaven and took a third of the angels with him down to where? Down to earth, not to hell. Down to earth. Where are the fallen angels? Here, in chains, in bondage. Yes, helping Satan deceive the nations. And the dragon stood before the woman. Who is the woman? I will shorten the illustration here quickly for you. That's the nation of Israel. That is the Jerusalem, the, the Israeli people, the Jewish people, who through whom came Jesus Christ. And it says the woman was about to give birth so that when she bore the child, the, the, the dragon might devour it. Okay, this is a picture of Satan. He has authority on this earth, or at least it appears that he does because John sees the diadems and he sees the crowns and he sees the heads. And then he sees that he wants to devour and then it goes after, later on in the passage, it goes after all the people of God who follow the child that was born to Israel. And this is what you have to understand, that there's a dragon that's coming after you. And he rules, and yes, he has been given authority over this world. How? Because Adam and Eve abdicated their authority and gave it to him in the beginning. And so listen to me very carefully, though. This is, this is the best part. I love the fact that the Bible says he's a dragon because here's what you need to know. Fact number one about dragons. Are you ready? Fact number one. They don't really exist. <laughs> here's what that means. Satan's rule looks real but it doesn't really exist because we know the one who rules over Satan and we are connected to the one who rules over Satan. That means that nothing Satan throws at you, God has not allowed for you. And if he allowed it for you, there must be an ultimate reason and purpose in it for you that he might produce something through you and in you. And that means that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And by the way, this devil, this dragon has no authority over you because just skip down to verse 10. It says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come for the accuser of the brothers have been thrown down who accuses them when? Day and night. You, you feel guilt, you feel shame, you feel ac accused. That's because the devil's after you. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God and they have conquered him. They didn't lose to him. They conquered him. How? By the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and they love not their lives even unto death. In other words, even if you have to kill me, devil, I'm not bowing the knee. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's how you conquer. That's how you win. The second symbol is a blasphemous beast. Now, when we talk about a blasphemous beast and the book of Revelation is all about this beast, uh, is a large part of it is about this beast. Um, blasphemy means that you claim to be God. So what Revelation is telling us is that there are going to be people who will claim to be God. Not just in the future. Now, and as it's always happened in the past. Look at how this, this blasphemous, blasphemous beast comes about. Verse one of Revelation 13, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads. That's referencing back to the dragon, with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads, multiple heads. Multiple rulers will come to the world and claim to be God. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, his feet like a bear, his mouth like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. This is a picture of what always happens. And the God of this world makes his rule seem real by giving certain people his authority. 
And those authority structures, we call them the government. Hello, COVID people. The, you know why the government always wants to control you? Because it's ruled by one who wants to control you. I, I'm still shocked we all did it. We all stayed home. <laughs> I'm still shocked. I, anybody, like that? anybody with me on that? Like, I can't believe we did it. What were we thinking? Never again. Hashtag never again. <laughs> never forget. Unbelievable. And it was amazing how quickly governors just stepped into that moment and owned it with glee. Oh. Where does it come from? The devil. This is what the scripture is begging us to see. Um, from Pharaoh, it always happened, by the way, from Pharaoh to Nebuchadnezzar to King Herod to Caesar Augustus, all of them claimed to be God. Nothing new. Nothing new under the sun, Ecclesiastes says. And you know when government really gets intimidated? When someone works for government who believes that God is actually in charge. The U.S. House of Representatives just elected a brand new speaker named Mike Johnson. Now I'm gonna ask you to do me a favor, everybody. Forget about the letter. The R or the D is irrelevant. Just forget about that for a moment, just shelve that. You can pick it up later on your way out the door. This man says, I believe in Jesus Christ and the Bible is what I believe God revealed to man for how we should live. No, 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 wait, wait, yeah. And he is a father of four, one of whom is a, is a black child that he adopted. The child is now 40 years old, he's a grown man, who said if he had not been adopted by Mike Johnson's family, he would be in prison right now. I only bring that fact up for one reason. When the news that Mike Johnson, this Bible-believing, born-again Christian, was elected to the third highest place in our government, the news media and all the talking heads on TV literally had their heads explode because nothing is more intimidating to the dragon and the governments and the news media that he organizes and runs than somebody who steps in on his sandbox and says, I know who's really running the show in this place. And his name is not Joe Biden, and his name is not this Congress. His name is Jesus Christ. Literally, on, on Bill Maher's show, Real Time, he had a guest when Mike Johnson was elected, and the guest had the audacity and the complete ignorance to say that this is like David Duke running our government. David Duke is the head of the KKK. How blind do you have to be with hatred and a lust for power to say such ignorant lies and not even be caught out on it? That's what happens when somebody steps into the devil's territory and says, I know you're not really in charge. 
And the book of Revelation is begging us to see it. The third symbol is a financial beast. Write it down, financial, because this, this is his fastball. This is his out pitch. Are you ready? Money. Young people, if you can't control you guys with your sexual impulses when you're young or your desperation for a spouse when you're in your 20s or your desperation for significance when you're in your 30s, he'll come at you with money. It's his last pitch, his best pitch, by the way. And the book of Revelation is telling us this is what always happens. Are you ready? Here's what he says in verse 16. It also causes both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell. That's economy, unless it has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of his name. And now everybody gets all tripped up on this passage. What's the mark of the beast? 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 Have I taken the mark of the beast? Was the, was the vaccine the mark of the beast? How, how do I know the mark of the beast? Is it Bill Gates? Who is it? Is it George Soros? Where's the mark of the beast? Who's gonna be the mark? And look, stop, wait, hold on. No passage in Revelation exists on its own. It's interpreted by Old Testament passages. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter six, verse eight, where God says, you shall write this on your hand. What? My word shall be written on your hand and it will be as frontless between your eyes, your hand and your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, your allegiance in what you do with your hands and what you think with your mind will be to me. And the financial world markets of our world are regularly used and utilized by Satan to rip you away from alliance to God. So, some people don't tithe. You don't tithe. And here's what you do. You say, the church just wants my money. That's why I don't tithe. Uh, <laughs> what do you think the world wants? What, what are they, benefactors? What are they, What? You know, are they the benefactor from great expectations? They just want you to succeed, Pip. They just want you to succeed. No. What does Taylor Swift want? Travis Kelsey? <laughs> She's about to dump him so she can come out with another album of how she once again picked the wrong guy. She wants your money. The government wants your money. The stores want your money. Here's the news, newsflash. It's not your money. It's God's money. Put God first in your money and watch God bless his money. This is what the beast is doing, throwing the fastball and some of you are swinging and missing time and time again in life. Question, who do you trust? The God of the government, write it down. That's what this is about. It always happens. It's not just going to happen. It's happening now. A fight for your soul with the heartstrings of financial opportunity. Lastly, let her see, this world is a seductive trap. Now, <laughs> I was very tempted to put this world is a seductive whore. <laughs> but I felt very bad about having you write down whore in church. So the last minute I said, change it to trap. But, 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 but here's why. It really should be whore. 
Look at the verse in Revelation 17, verse one. Then one of the angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. A synonym for prostitute is? Yeah, you just said it in church. There you go, all right? So, <laughs> this is how we're supposed to see the world. What is a prostitute interested in? Money. She doesn't love you. That new car that you so desperately wanted to buy does not love you. And three, remember that because three years from now, Cheerios will be stuck in the ventilation system <laughs> and it will smell like your socks and you'll say, I can't believe I still owe $40,000 on this piece of junk. It doesn't love you. This world is a whore playing the heartstrings of many people. It says she sits on many waters. That means that she's everywhere. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. These are pictures, friend. These are pictures. The kings of the earth, including this country, are in bed with the devil. The insider trading, the amazing acumen that our congressional leaders have when picking and choosing stocks. It's astounding. They're in bed with the whore of Babylon. Don't be misled. It says they've committed sexual immorality, the whole, and with the wine of sexual immorality, the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. This is a picture of the world, and it's a picture of sexual immorality, which will heighten as the end approaches. It used to be back in the old days, you would have to shamefully go to the corner market and pick up one of the cellophane-wrapped magazines in the back of the rack and bring it to the front and let somebody know that you were interested in pornography. Today, you can just get it on your phone instantaneously for free. What is that? That's the dragon. It's an illusion leading you to hell. You, you, you understand that legalized pedophilia is just a few decades away. This is, this is where the world is going. And, and so what do we do? What, what John tells us, 1 John 3, verse 2, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You gotta cut it off. You gotta get it out. You gotta run like Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. Husbands and fathers, listen to me. You have to check the child's phone. Check the phone. Guard the gates of your house. I don't want to. I'm afraid of what I should find. Yeah. Put on your big boy pants and fight the battle that matters for your children's spiritual life. I, I had a young guy who's expecting his second child ask me last night at our coffee house, what advice do you give me as I start to embrace my second child? And I said, very simple, get you and your household to church every single weekend. Let your children see you love Jesus. Fathers, that's how you, that's how you raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. There's more to it, but that's number one. Then lastly, and point three is short, so don't worry. Jesus wants anyone who hears to come home. 
the last thing that Revelation says is come. And if you're feeling estranged from this world, and some of you are here today or you're online or you're watching from one of our locations and you feel like an orphan, you've got an orphan spirit in you because you tried to get adopted by this age and, and this age does what it always does. It chews you up and it spits you out and it's left you with an orphan spirit. And here's what Jesus, your savior, your God says to you. I want you. I still want you. I want you with the dirt and the scars and the wounds. I want you with the anxiety. I want you with the depression. I want you with the suicidal tendencies. I want you with the loneliness. I want you with the addictions. I want you with the failures. I want you all. I want all of it. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you into my house. And I'm going to wash you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. And I'm going to heal you. And I'm going to wrap your wounds up. And I'm going to wash away the dirt and the shame and the fear and the guilt. And I'm going to take the anxiety and the worries off of your shoulders. And I'm going to bear them on myself. And I'm going to take all your cares because I care for you. And I'm here to do this for any single person who hears my voice. Come. Come. I end with what I open with Revelation 22, 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who thir is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life. And to close it all out, I skip the last verse. You can see it's a new heaven, a new earth. That's what Jesus is coming to build. No more fear, no more tears, no more hate, no more animosity. He's going to wipe every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall be there mourning, crying, pain. The former things have passed away. Here's what I want you to write down. Sermon in a sentence. Revelation helps me see the end from the beginning to know that history is in God's hands and that Jesus guides me home. So I don't know what you're worried about, but you really don't have anything to worry about if Jesus is in your life, if he's the Lord of your life, if he's God, he's got you. And more importantly, if he has not yet got you, he wants you.